0: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والسلام وبارك على سيدنا وحبيبنا ونبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين Welcome to another show of the Seekers and Sleepers podcast where the uh the deeper question is are we seeking with the seekers or still sleeping with the sleepers alhamdulillah lovely to do uh another show um even though this is uh, part three of the four dead, the the believers four deadly enemies or four deadly foes um, even if a pastor didn't didn't catch part one or part two, inshallah taala they will still benefit inshallah from hopefully this show. Uh, and anyway, uh, if someone missed the, uh, the previous shows, uh, then they are online and the, uh, the details are given on the um, streaming platform uh, that you are on. I mean the links are given on the um, on the streaming platform uh, that you're watching from, Alhamdulillah. Wa alaikum assalam. wa rahmatullah to uh, those of you who have just given uh, salams. Hassan, Hisham, Idris, uh, Allah bless you all, Abdul Kareem, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you all, uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cause this, uh, cause this show and our uh, being part of it to be part of our hasanat, our good deeds and a means of drawing us closer to him uh, simply because uh, the intention of listening to knowledge, reading knowledge, learning knowledge, must always be with the intention uh, to act upon it, so that knowledge becomes a means for me to rectify my life and know how to please my Lord, Subhanahu wa Taala. And when when knowledge is gained with that intention. And even a little knowledge benefits, as our scholars say. But if it's, if knowledge is gained just to uh, just for the sake of acquiring it, uh, for the sake of uh, trying to win an argument, for the sake of drawing people's attention to us, um, that's problematic, and uh, a forbid of the uh, the person will find themselves will find ourselves uh, in quite a lot of difficulty. Uh, In the hereafter, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala save us. So, knowledge, as noble and as great as it is, is also a really serious thing in terms of what knowledge demands upon us. Uh, They say that ilm or knowledge has zakat due upon it, and the zakat of knowledge is acting upon what we know. Okay, Um, last week we looked at um the idea the 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 idea the idea of the four deadly foes and we looked up one in particular and we spent some time on it because of it and that was the the enemy called dunya the world or worldliness remember what are we talking about what are the four spiritual enemies of human beings what are the four things that pull us away that lure us or subdue us from drawing closer to Allah, worshipping Him, obeying Him. Those four deadly foes are we're either enticed by worldliness, materialism, so dunya, or our nafs, our lower self, ego, or our whims, our hawa, or shaitan, the devil, Satan. And each of these four things or four forces. Um, And not just separately, but in concert to collectively, separately and collectively, they work on us to pull us away from fulfilling Allah's obligations and keeping away from his prohibitions. And then at a higher level, they pull us away from doing the mustahabat, the recommended deeds, and keeping away from the makruhat, those deeds that Allah hasn't quite made haram, but he dislikes uh, and he detests. And how do we know what is uh, an obligation (farḍ) uh, What is a recommendation (mustahab) or sunnah? What is haram, prohibited, uh, and what is makruh, disliked or detested? And what is muba? It's just permissible, neither neither obligated nor forbidden neither recommended nor detested just licit, just a a neutral thing in the middle how do we know these five categories Uh, are the rulings we have to learn them uh, from qualified sources and ideally from qualified uh, people and there is a uh, uh, a set of uh, there is a share of knowledge that every Muslim is obligated to know and they are generally not excuse for being ignorant of it. And that is what the Prophet ﷺ meant when he said, ala kulli Muslim. The seeking of knowledge is compulsory upon every Muslim. What type of knowledge? That knowledge which is first and foremost what they call a personal obligation upon me as an individual Muslim to know. A personal obligation upon me as a muslim to know for which generally i won't be excused so that core knowledge that knowledge personal obligation knowledge knowledge of basic beliefs really basic beliefs knowledge of basic do's and don'ts what allah has commanded me with what allah has prohibited me from in my day-to-day life and knowledge of the basic uh, vices or sins of the heart, and their opposite, the virtues, the praiseworthy qualities of the heart. Um, of course, it takes some time in learning, but it doesn't take much time. Um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, La yukallif nafsan illa Allah doesn't burden a soul with more than it can bear. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows that most of mankind from the time of the Prophet up until now, or most of mankind just you know, generally, not not talking about Muslims, just generally, are not academics, scholars, or bookworms and readers. Most of mankind then and now are lay people hold, you know, trying to hold down a job um dealing you know dealing with children and family and other responsibilities that they have um there are people in the world that don't hold down just a nine-to-five job for them um it might be working 13 14 hours a day for pittance and then that that work is not just sitting behind a desk you know just typing on a keyboard that work could be 14 hours of of strenuous physical labor um, 14 hours of that not getting much not having proper meals a day uh where is someone going to have the time even if they could read and write to then sit back and you know soak in some kind of Religious book, some deep religious learning. No, that's not really the the way of humanity. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hasn't burdened people with becoming scholars, but every Muslim is obligated with learning the basics. And then, if they can learn more than that, it's uh, the more the better. The more the better. But as long as we know the basics and carry out the basics, and if we did, mashallah. In terms of the obligations related to our outward uh, actions of prayer and, and fasting, uh, and um, uh, and kindness and duty uh, duty towards parents, um, some of the recommended things are being uh, very neighbourly and, and and having a good approachable character, loving approachable character, uh, being charitable, being concerned for the poor, keeping away from the prohibitions. Uh, keeping away from the haram. If we kind of just did the basics, subhanAllah, each one of us would probably, by Allah's grace, be a a source of noor, a source of light. People would just look at our honesty, our integrity, our way of worship, uh, and they may, may query this way of worship, and we say, you know what, this way of worship is exactly the way, for example, prayer that the prophet peace be upon him the prophet muhammad worship and as regards to the way that we go down in prostration in sajda or in ruku prophets and messengers before our prophet muhammad the prophet moses the prophet david the prophet jesus they too worship in a similar fashion our way in the modern world is to live an ancient pattern of life, not a nostalgic pattern, but a fitri pattern, a pattern that accords with our intrinsic nature of fitra. So, uh, Islam is beautiful and it wants its followers to be people of beauty, not people of beauty that, mashallah, we've combed our hair, down combed our beards in this case, right? Uh, yeah, that as well, but also people of beauty of character, beauty in terms of the beliefs that we hold, beauty in terms of the aspirations that we have, beauty in terms of the concern that we show and have for others and their welfare. Inna Allaha Jamilun Yuhibbul Jamal, the Prophet said, Allah is beautiful and loves beauty. Subhanallah. So we looked at the we began to look at the four deadly foes, uh, the world, the ego, the devil, and whims and desires. And we uh, discussed dunya, the world, at quite, at some length uh yesterday. The life of this world is but play and diversion, but the home of the hereafter. That is true life if only they knew. And we also reminded ourselves uh, that the world the world is a prison for the believers and a paradise for the non believers, for the non Muslims and we uh, also I think uh, I mentioned the hadith in the sunnah of Tirmidhi the world and whatever is in it is cursed except for the remembrance of Allah and what He loves and a scholar and a student, scholar and a student of sacred knowledge so really the material world is not really where the divine gaze is per se. Uh, in the Hadith in Sahih Muslim, we read, "Inna Allah la yanzuru ila ajsanikum, wa la ila surikum, walaikin yanduru ila kuloobikum wa malikum." Allah doesn't look at your forms and your appearances. Doesn't look at outward forms and appearances. Doesn't really see if we're men, women, black, white, east or west. Um, have a degree or don't have a degree per se, but Allah looks at your hearts and your actions. Allah doesn't look at our forms and our appearances, but He looks at our hearts and our actions. So it's not really the material aspect that concerns Allah wa ta'ala, as much as it is the mana, the meaning behind the form. So it's not the surah, it's the mana. Muslims aren't really taught to be obsessed about the Surah, the forms of things but the man, the the meaning or the reality that thing or person represents. We are people that aren't hung up on Surah, on forms but a man, on meanings. SubhanAllah. And uh, the best way to begin to allow the heart to grasp that point is by attaching it, attaching it to the Book of Allah to the Qur'an, uh, where such realities are are fleshed out and made clear. So that was the role. So today I'm going to deal with the last or the the next three or all the rest of the three uh, in brief terms. Let me pick on the second thing that pulls us away from our journey into Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, which is Hawa, winds and desires. Um, Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala says, "Have you not seen He who takes his desires, his Hawa, as his Ilah? Have you not seen seen him who takes his desires as?" Is God as his object of worship? Of course we have. Um, Allah forbid. Na'udhuillah. We sometimes do that ourselves. And there are levels of taking our whims and desires as a God, as an object of worship. A Muslim can do it and therefore sin follow their des- whims and desires or their false desires which will be sinful. and a muslim because he or she believes in the principle of la ilaha illallah and because a muslim believes that i should whatever allah uh, obligates makes uh, obligatory i should believe it to be obligatory whatever allah makes haram i should believe it to be haram prohibited because they have that belief that i believe whatever allah has made obligation uh, obligatory is an obligation upon me whatever allah has forbidden me is forbidden to me uh, and i believe in the principle of that ilaha so when a muslim sins by following their desire so for example um uh let me think so it's ramadan the muslim should the muslim should be fasting uh and then kind of all of a sudden the the hunger pangs kick off in the stomach and it's a hot day and there's a you know the person across the road is having a nice cool drink and then the person says ah and then he succumbs to his whims and desires even though he knows he shouldn't and he goes and he drinks during the daytime of ramadan and therefore unlawfully breaking his fast doing haram um by following his desires he followed his desires but he knew he was sinful he knew he allah has prohibited him allah may uh, punish him if he's not careful he needs to repent to allah but he followed his desires so that's one way of momentarily we make our desires more authoritative than god than allah for a moment for that brief second we make our desires more authoritative in terms of action than allah but we have we always make the principle of as a muslim that what allah has made uh, obligatory and forbidden we need to uh accord to that that principle remains a, a muslim is not the one who says you know what allah i know i know allah said i shouldn't fast in ramadan but hey i have a different opinion than god I know better than god well i actually don't think well yeah that's god's opinion but i have my own opinion that would not make that person at that time a muslim anymore but the one who says no allah has forbidden me this but through following their whims and desires they sin then such a person is a muslim but a sinful muslim a muslim but a sinful muslim same thing with someone who drinks And knows that they are committing haram is a muslim a sinful muslim and likewise for the rest of uh, the sins but if someone says i know that allah has made this haram prohibited this but i don't agree with it not I don't know if Allah's made it halal and haram, but some scholars say it's halal and some scholars say it's haram, and I disagree with those scholars. And poly- no, no, that's different. When it's something very clear-cut, something agreed upon to be haram by everybody, by all of the scholars from from the beginning of Islam. Okay, and then someone says, "Well, I think. Well, the, you know, I know Allah's made it har- haram, but I think it's halal." I think it's okay. It's lawful. Such a person then no longer uh, is a Muslim. Okay, um, it's kind of simple. But otherwise, if they believe believe in the principle, but violate it by following their whims and desires, they are Muslims but sinful. Tawbah, uh, repentance is an obligation upon them. They need to stop the sin. Uh, rectify their ways and get with the program right but have you not seen him who follows his whims and desires so there's the muslim who follows his or her whims and desires may Allah protect us but there is a another way where whims and desires becomes becomes the god itself the object of worship itself in the absolute sense when it is my own feelings my likes my whims my desires that work that decide for me what is right what is wrong what is halal what is haram what is good what is bad what is righteousness what is evil and it's my own thinking based upon my whims desires my feelings my passions my whatever then have you not seen him who takes his desires as his God? And today, uh, so many of mankind are actually worshipping their desires. The cult of individualism is really, at bottom, uh, a cult that says, Obey your own own desires. Don't submit to any higher authority, be it God, be it a holy book, be it anything except what you want to, what you desire to. Um, And we need to uh, understand the times that we live in and the spiritual mess that people are in. Okay, so that's another one, desires, and desires normally, you know, it's Shaitan whispering the soul, the the nafs, the ego is strong, uh, the iman might be a bit weak, uh, the uh, the heart is passionately attached to the dunya. Uh, it's kind of not yet kind of settled on obedience to Allah. Sometimes it obeys, sometimes it doesn't obey but it is attached to dunya and worldly stuff and then in that case shaitan just has to kind of not even throw a deep suggestion just a little suggestion and then it stirs in a, in the in, in in the ego a desire a whim so all these four uh dunya shaitan nafs hawa, all these thought four things are interrelated and play off one another they're not totally separate and work in their separate ways. They do have their separate ways of working, but they also interplay. So Shaitan, because the, because the Quran says, and we'll come to this soon, that shaitan, uh, Allah says in the Quran, uh, and the stratagem uh, uh, of Shaitan is weak, and Shaitan has no power over anyone except those who give him power. So the, so yet the Quran is saying Shaitan's stratagem is weak, and yet we always uh, all pray to Shaitan's whisperings or waswasa uh, because the soul is too dominated by the ego. The heart is too passionately clingy to dunya. And so it becomes easy for Shaitan to just throw in a whisper. And if it's not easy, then it's kind of, you know, uh, dependent upon the level of Iman and the level of the heart attached to Allah instead of the dunya. uh, then it becomes much harder for shaitan uh, to do that so whims come by the way of just shaitan just throwing that su- in that suggestion and then all of a sudden it's like oh a breeze comes over us Hawa, right? just like breeze okay and then it stirs in the soul some haram passion and that is like uh, One a person could be doing something very godly and very righteous and then their eyes see uh, a beautiful image which is haram to see. Some beautiful image that becomes haram to see. Of course if the husband is looking at the beautiful image of his wife or vice versa then that's not haram to see. But if someone other than, uh, than the husband or the wife is looking at the beautiful image of the husband or the wife uh it's Haram, okay especially when it stirs passions as well and and and, uh, wrong thoughts um and that can happen one could be work one could be doing an act of righteousness and then one second later just their 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 eyes glance upon something and gets fixated on on an image and then a wind comes over uh And we could be really in great jeopardy, which is why the intelligent Muslim is he or she that does their best to guard the inroads of their eyes and their ears. uh, Just like Allah says, and they don't consider it trivial because they know that Allah not only knows best for us, but he has more concern for our well-being than we do for ourselves. So not only are we ignorant and defective and full of desires and false ambitions but on top of that we don't have the concern for our well-being as Allah does Uh, which is why we would always give the believer always is ready to give uh, Allah, pay heed to Allah's words rather than their own Fragile and futile intellect and thinking. Um, does it really behoove a Muslim to say, well, I think, I think, after Allah has said something very really clear, for instance? Um, our problem, I suggest, is less a lack of. Islamic knowledge and that is a problem sometimes and more of a, of an issue of not having the will or the the aspiration to to act upon what I know and to commit to the to the fact that Allah knows better than me. I don't like that. The, mo- the modern ear doesn't like that saying, oh, someone knows better than me or I don't know uh, I don't know what's good in this situation. How dare you tell me that? Why not? Why can't, Allah, why can't Allah tell us that? Is there something wrong in what He's saying? Do we really think we know better? I'm what? 24? Still a young young, young lady, a young man? Right? I'm 30. What, what have I studied? What have I read? What wisdom do I have? I'm 40 and... I'm 50, I'm 60, and, and then from 70, well, I'm probably going the other way, it's senility, right? Forgetting things rather than learning anything new. Uh, it's something to think about. So that's the f- second one, false desires, I and mean, they come upon us a lot. Let's let's focus on the last two though. Uh, the ego. I, I'm not going to spend too much time on the ego. It's Shaitan that I want to. The issue of Shaitan that I want to really get into today. Uh, the ego. Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala says in the Quran in Surah Yusuf, "Inna nafs The soul does constantly incite to evil. Inna nafs The soul does constantly incite to evil. In fact, the biggest problem of the human being is the nafs. But, but, Shaitan in the other sense is a bigger problem because he knows what buttons to press to get our nafs to do all sorts of wicked things. But if the nafs was not nafsul amara, the soul that's um, that incites to evil, and instead uh, Allah allowed the individual to purify their nafs, to nafs, purification of the soul, and roll up their sleeves and make that mujahada that we spoke about in the first uh, in the first of these three um, uh, live streams. And the Prophet said, "Al-mujahid man jahada nafsahu fi ta'atillah, the mujahid, the warrior, in Allah's path is he who strives against his ego." in obedience to Allah such that the soul was became slowly and steadily more and more focused on Allah became Allah oriented and uh, became more obedient than disobedient to Allah day by day the soul is growing in obedience the heart is purifying itself the soul is being purified Uh, Allah is uh, being drawn close to by his grace and his mercy then that soul then do, become moves from amara to nafs to nafsul la-wana. The Quran speaks about a nafsul the soul that is reproachful. In that, it reproaches itself when it does bad and says, "Oh, why did you, why did you miss prayer?" The soul says, "Why did I miss prayer?" Before, in the amara state, oh, I miss prayer. Never mind, I'll tell you. And then the religious uh, conscience is activated. Now it's a case of, oh, how did I do that? Huh? And we feel bad, we regret it, we repent to Allah. Okay. It, so that's a nafsul lawwam It's a soul that does, you know, is trying to do good and is doing good. When it slips up and when it falters and stumbles, it reproaches itself, and that's why the Prophet said it's in a long hadith, but one part of the hadith in the Muslim of Ahmed. The Prophet says, He whose good deeds please him, sorry, he whose good deeds please him, and his bad deeds grieve him, then he is a mu'min, he is a believer. because faith is there at some serious level that's why when when it does good it's it's thankful to allah and it's joyous but when it sins it's in a state of remorse and regret and and blaming itself reproaching itself which is very different than that type of soul that like it sins and it's you know it's like water off a duck's back doesn't doesn't bother me. you know you have people who you know uh, uh, who could kill others, right, just kill others. And it's really water orthodox a Then you have people who, are, um, uh, who who murder someone or kill someone, God forbid, and then they go into that um, uh, that idea of, you know, Dostoevsky fleshed out, out in his famous book, Crime and Punishment, you know, the protagonist goes and sees what it's like to kind of kill for fun. He kills, and in the beginning, he doesn't feel anything about it. But slowly and steadily, as the days and the months go past, he's it really gets to him, and he feels really just inside. He feels all twisted and, um, and empty uh, because of the guilt of what he's done. He becomes guilt ridden, and he doesn't find that anything could heal him until he meets some lady who heals it. The point being is. Uh, it was uh, it, you know, it's writing about how bad a person who does bad can be ridden with guilt and torn up inside. There are some people who aren't torn up inside. So if sins, there are various levels of sins' down at all, okay but if sins don't prick our conscience you know, if not, begin to tear us up I'd say, at some level. Then our hearts may Allah forbid, and protect us. Might have become desensitized. But then there's so there's lots of lots of When that is further purified, and things of this world become less uh, uh, less the goal, and the after becomes more the goal. When the when the soul is ready to sacrifice something of this world. In order to get the hereafter so once upon a time it's like you know what i have to put my money, i have to uh, i have to make uh a riba contracts and river transactions and put my bank money on, in a river bank and 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 loan others money on the river on interest and usury because in the end i need to get more and more money because my heart is so much attached to money and then there comes a time since like, yeah, having money is fine but not at the expense of uh, displeasing allah or angering our lord and jeopardizing my hereafter, and then there comes a time whereby it's not a battle anymore. Haram money or money—it's like, no way do I want that. Haram—that's disgusting. That's just—it stinks. Right? And the fasting is on this. When the soul is a bit more purified in that kind of way, uh, then it's moving towards nafsul uh, al a tranquil soul, Oh tranquil soul, enter my paradise, please and uh, well pleased and well pleasing, Enter into my, uh, enter amongst my servants, enter my paradise. But it requires work. We have to work on our soul to move it from the lower potential nafsul amal to the higher potential. In, uh, and uh, the best ways to do that uh, the uh, the traps to look out for is obviously mentioning the Quran and Sunnah and fleshed out and elaborated upon by those scholars who are known as who are known as masters of the heart in islam masters of tuskita nafs masters of the inward life and we access their writings and their teachings just as we access the writings of the fuqaha, the jurists, if we want to further deepen our knowledge of fiqh or the Muhadithun, the scholars of hadith, if we want to further know uh, something about is the hadith authentic or not authentic, how authentic, how not authentic, so on and so forth. Uh, we have masters who are masters of the inward life. Sometimes we, we get scholars who are masters of both the outward sciences and the inward sciences of Islam. Al-Ghazali is probably the obvious one that comes to mind. Uh, likewise, Imam Ibn Al-Qiyyum uh, is another one. Uh, could be another one. Ibn Al-Juzay Al-Kalbi, another one. There are quite a few within the Islamic tradition. And then finally, let me just keep an eye on the time. Finally, shaitan. The fourth thing that we are now. That pulls us away from journey to Allah. Ya mm-hmm. Oh, you who believe. Enter islam fully. Enter into islam fully. And do not follow the khutawah, the steps or footsteps of shaitan. Because he, to you, is a clear and avowed and enemy, a clear and declared or an avowed enemy shaitan has made his enmity his hatred his spite his malice his anger his rage against the children of adam against human beings absolutely clear he's laid his cards on the table and he has said openly that my life's mission is to misguide you people as much as i can and as many as my as i can i have nothing else in life that is my job description there is nothing else on my cv apart from this desire to misguide Banu adam bani adam and this is not a fairy story this is not coming out of you know harry potter books and you know voldemort and you're just a character right sauron lord of the rings just a character right This is real stuff. And it's not like kind of little cartoon things, you know, little sticking with a, you know, three-pronged stake or whatever with a pointy tail or whatever. He hates us. He wants to damn us. And he's ready to use every trick in the book to do so. to us as a clear enemy and notice as well just one or two things here uh and enter into islam completely islam islam just to just as I, i know many of you know it but sometimes you know we can lose track of things especially you know especially given the pressures on us to conform to wider society's expectations of what it means to be a 21st century human being People are saying that the word Islam means peace because Islam, Salam. Obviously, the ear can hear the similarity. Islam, Salam. Okay, so there is clearly a connection between between Islam and Salam, peace. But Islam as an Arabic word, as a Quranic Arabic word, does not come from the word Salam. It doesn't come from the word Salam. It comes from the word Istislam. Islam comes from the Arabic word Istislam. And Istislam means surrender. Or submission. So. A Muslim is one who. Istislam lilahi bi ta'atihi. The Muslim is one who has. Surrendered to God. Bi ta'atihi. Through obedience and worship of him. Inshallah, through that istislam, there will be inward salam, inner peace. Allah بِذِكْرِ اللَّهِ تَطْمَعِنَّ الْقُلُوبِ Indeed, in the remembrance of Allah, do hearts find tranquility, stillness. Meaning, peace. And when the society is a society of people of taqwa then the quran says if only the people had iman and taqwa we would have showered down from the heavens all the barakah all the blessings that they want that that they could want if only the people had iman and taqwa then there would also be Salam upon the earth, which is why in the Sahih Hadith in Sayyid Muslim, we learn that when Isa salam, comes, the second coming, and he slays the Dajjab, and the majority of the non Muslims convert to Islam, and Islam becomes the dominant way in the world. And there will be nothing more precious to the believer than doing this sajda to Allah. Making a such that Allah will be more beloved to the believers at that time than all of the world. What did the Prophet Sussman say? When such a time comes, and taqwa. The Prophet Sussman said in the hadith, "In the sahih Muslim." And peace will uh, and peace will prevail. So this is not in sahih Muslim. This is an authentic hadith among the sunyans. Peace will prevail. And war will lay down its burdens. Peace will prevail. And war will lay down its burdens. And then in Sahih Muslim it says, And and a uh, and a baby boy will play with a lion without the weakest species coming to harm. And a, a little girl will pray, play with a rattlesnake. Without the weaker species coming to any harm, and lions will gra- graze with sheep, without the weaker ones coming to any harm, and one uh, uh, and and uh, one pomegranate will be so huge it can feed ten families. That is the peace that surpasseth all understanding towards the end of days. But why? Because of Iman and the So enter into Islam fully and also do not follow the footsteps of Shaitan. It doesn't say do not follow Shaitan, that's clear, but do not follow the footsteps of Shaitan. Okay? So this is why, for example, uh, why is it not why is it haram for a muslim to go into a pub and just you know all of his mates are drinking alcohol beer and whatever but no he he just drinks orange i'm not talking about when we're in that a tricky situation whereby the office meeting is happening in the pub then you know that's i'm not saying that's ha therefore it's halal but you know that's not so straightforward but actually just you know just i'm um, going out with my mates my friends and we're going to a pub but hey as i'm saying i'm just going to drink orange juice or diet coke or whatever it is and normal why is that haram it's not because the person is going to get drunk but actually once you open the door down the line the possibilities I mean, it, it can be possible because one gets used to a particular environment use a particular lifestyle use of particular actions of sin the sin is no longer abhorrent in my heart i become accustomed to it desensitized to it uh what is there uh, why why doesn't Shaitan just up the ante and then actually put into my heart that the desire to maybe just take a sip and who knows so it's the footsteps it's something that leads up to something clearly haram so what leads up to it and is understood in life's experience that it can easily lead some people not everyone into the haram has been made haram as well um not everyone who looks at uh, the opposite sex i mean it doesn't have to be the opposite sex anymore but let's just stick to the islamic ethics it's not that, you know, when every man looks at a woman or every woman looks at the man that, you know, that they want to go off and, you know, do something clear cut, haram. And it's not every time that a man will be alone in the, with a woman that something will kick off. No, we know it's not always like that, but oftentimes it is, right? And it may not happen on the first occasion, but second, third, fourth, which is why you find many people who work together, they also go out i mean i'm not going out as in friends as in date when people become when men and women become familiar to each other uh it can arouse feelings and those feelings can take control of our lives so not only as the act of zina on occasion and adultery we made haram but things that lead up to it uh a man alone with a woman uh men and women raising their gaze in with desire looking at uh the opposite gender with desire both haram uh, and if it's not with desire then the Prophet Asim said the first glance is permissible but the second glance isn't why because the dance can get stuck right? and this is not like no oh, i've never heard that happening this is just this is the story of the world right We'd be foolish, stupid, idiotic, liars to say otherwise. Um, so enter into Islam fully and do not follow the footsteps. Not just do not follow the devil, but don't follow the footsteps because he is laying down these crumbs and these crumbs are going to lead to serious places. So the shaitan. Let me finish very quickly by saying that shaitan and i hopefully by monday afternoon on my website thehumblei.com, www.thehumble and the letter i uh, not i i but the letter i thehumbleeye.com there should be an article that i am just finishing off i'm finishing off writing on how the six steps of the devil how he deceives us uh, misguides us um and also something about spiritual journey, suluk. So I think it's called uh, suluk and the six steps of the devil's deception or words of that. So let me quickly run through the actual deceptions and you can read the article hopefully Monday afternoon, Monday evening for the kind of, you know, to see it in HD, so to speak, okay, with all its details. So six steps, okay. Ideally, the, f- the first step is what they call surf uh, anil aman. um the past uh, shaitan will try to uh, di- uh divert a person from doing the acts of islam acts of worship acts of obedience to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so the first uh way he tries to uh pull us away is Anilam, just whispers things no you, know, you know, you're, you're just still young you start practicing islam when you're 40 or after you do hajj you know, for God's sake, don't grow a beard now. You know, you know, 20, and twenty. Don't wear hijab. No, I'll marry you. And all these kind of well-known kind of whisperings that people get, and we end up following the devil's logic, one way or the other. Okay, just you know, just buy this thing in a haram way, and then kind of your life will be okay. Um, but if the devil can't sort anil amr, uh to uh to divert us away from action then the second way is to sweep procrastination okay okay yeah it's a good thing to do you start practicing islam so the devil is telling us whispering yeah okay practice islam be a good muslim but hey don't do it just yet don't rush into things you're only 14. (laughs) you know Live life a little and then settle down later on. And then many people believe the devil's so-called logic. And we get tempted by the sweet way he puts things. Uh, so So we end up delaying the good deed. But who knows if we will live till the next day. Who knows if that inspiration will come into our hearts again? Because in the end, when I decided no, I want to be a practicing Muslim, what was that me or was that Allah inspiring my heart? Allah, right? min hasanatin Allah. Isn't that what the Quran says? Whenever good comes to you, it's from God. It wasn't from me, right? So who knows if I put it off until next year or a few years or a few months out who knows one do i live that long and two do i get that inspiration again so does we procrastination is another way of the devil and the reason why i'm not giving solutions and remedies and cures is because the article will have it inshallah three so if you can't uh, if you can't divert the puzzle from not doing the deed forever or not doing the deed until later where he might or might not get the opportunity you know how many how many times do we get ourselves in this mess yeah you know what i'm going to give some Sadaqah charity and then a thought comes into our mind why don't i just hold off giving my uh, 200 pounds to that charity until some bigger cause happens you know some like some earthquake some big thing where you know really really or you know Maybe it doesn't happen. or Maybe I forget. Maybe I don't have the money anymore. So I could have given something there and then to a good cause, but I didn't. Or take the case where, yeah, I want to, f- I'll pray some, some nafil rakat, some optional prayers. And then it occurs to me. And this occurs to me, shaitan whispers me, yeah, good idea. But best- better that you check your WhatsApp uh, messages first. So that you're all free, you know, your heart, you know, you're not distracted by anything, and you've got a mind that uh, your mind and heart can focus. And whilst you're at it, uh, check your social media notifications as well. And then before I know it, I'm scrolling down my social media feed. 20 minutes are gone, half an hour gone, an hour is gone. And then the, the opportunity to, I'm done too tired now, right, to, to even pray to your car. And anyway, like, I can't be bothered to submit the again. Shaitan procrastination. If you can't, Uh, if he can't win the battle like that, the next thing is, well, the person is going to do the deed. So Shaitan says, okay, right, let me whisper it to do the deed. Yeah, go for it, go for it. Go for the prayer, go for the prayer. Go for the charity. Well, Shaitan whispers, you know, surely people should see how good a Muslim you are. You never know you might inspire them. Now that could be a good intention, okay, as it, Islamically, but normally it's not like that, normally it's just the first bit. We we crave appreciation from each other, even though the believer is asked to focus on being appreciated by God first and foremost. And if Allah appreciates us, it doesn't matter if no one else agree, doesn't appreciate us, but we kind of do it the other way around. So he... Corrupts our action that we are doing through riyāh, through showing off. We do the act wanting to be seen, wanting people to know so that I can receive their compliments, their pat on the back, and so that nullifies our deed, and it's a major sin. So riyāh. But if you can't get to the person that way, he doesn't say, "Oh, I give up." Fourth way, which is what. So you have. Diverting from deeds. Procrastination. Showing off. Fourth one. I'm sorry. So we do pray. And we're kind of focused our hearts on Allah. We're not doing it for others or to be seen by others. I'll just do it quickly in rushing, and, uh, and we're just i'm going because i need to finish this drills i need to finish my uh and and whatever and like kind of where three you know 300 miles an hour with our tongue we don't know what we're saying we don't know what we've said or what we've done i'm in prayer i don't know where my mind was the next thing i'm saying well, i don't actually know what in between not really be fitting at all. Such uh, haste, the Prophet said, min Allah, min Deliberation meaning being thoughtful and deliberate and composed and focused. Deliberation is from Allah, mina <inaudible> shaitan, and haste is from the devil. Okay. Then if he can't achieve victory that way, he's got another trick up his sleeve—the fifth way, which is where I'm going to end. Um, O-jubh. O-jubh. vanity, self-conceit, being really impressed with ourselves. So Abba Ali says, "Yeah, what are all these people on, so you are, are, are watching my feed—they're not as knowledgeable as me." Okay, look how much I know, and it's not that I'm looking down at you because then that would be arrogance. But I'm so impressed with myself and I kind of lose the plot that did I learn it myself? No, Allah is the doer. Whatever good comes to you is from Allah. Ultimately the origin of whatever good I had or I'm doing or have done is Allah. So rather than thank Allah and be grateful to him and fear losing the blessings through sin I become fixated on me. I'm you know what am pretty likable. I'm kind of impressed with myself. I think people should um I think people should stop, stop calling me Ustad and, and call me Sheikh al Islam. Yeah, I think I deserve it. That kind of being you know. <laughs> And we do that at various levels, we may not do it with knowledge, we may do it with uh, other things whereby we lose sight of where the good is coming from and think it's come from ourselves, and then think that we deserve it, because I have been so good, I deserve Allah giving me blessings, but we don't deserve even the air we breathe. We literally don't even deserve the air we breathe because we haven't done anything worthy of that air. It comes down as divine gift. All of this comes down not because we have deserved it. That is just ojub, that is just vanity. It comes down out of Allah's care, compassion, and divine gift and of course we're happy with Allah's gifts and we enjoy them inshallah and hopefully we will give thanks for them but they don't come from us, nothing good comes from us, the only thing we know we have for sure good deeds come from God is our own sins we own our own sins but Allah gives us good Look at the way the Qur'an teaches, look at the way that, that, that Islam describes the thinking of the, the, of the mu'min, of the mu'min. It's in a totally different way to how we think and see things. So the first thing to correct is the perception of the heart. And that can only be corrected by attaching it to Allah's book, the Qur'an, and the sunnah of his Prophet ﷺ . I actually was only going to do 45 minutes, uh, but it has been, I think, unfortunately, a good hour. So, with that being said, and apologies, any questions? So we finish finished now the Believers' For, uh, the for What is your fe- What is your advice on not feeling upset by a Muslim who, who has wronged you in a severe manner, and how and to and how do we interact with non-Muslims who might be hostile awesome and, and, and keeping calm? Okay, the first one. If someone has wronged us, Islam gives us two options. Islam forget about what other people say islam gives us two options the first option is and of course it it might make a difference on how in what form we have been wronged but let's just say we're wronged in in that uh, someone has stolen something uh, from them then the first option is to take them to task by going through the due process of law I can't go and steal something back from them. I mean, if they have the thing in their hand, I might try to take it back, but I can't. kind of go into their house at night and, like a thief, and steal it back. I can report them to the authorities, providing I know such authorities generally follow the due process of law, and get that thing back through the due process of law. Or, I can forgive, I know you have wronged me, but I forgive you. You no longer have a claim, I no longer have a claim over you, I forgive you. Or, leaving alone stealing, someone has lied about me, slandered me. I could go through the due process of law, and take them to, you know, uh, take them to uh, task for the act of slander. And I may win or may not win the case. Or I can forgive them. Sometimes it's important that we take people to task. At other times, it's far better to forgive. Unfortunately, many of us Muslims are, have lost the art of wanting to forgive on big things. Oh, I came late. You know, we said 2:30 uh, at the bus stop. I came 2:35, 2, 2:40. Oh, please forgive me. And where is it? Will forgive? Or something a bit more serious, and we're not ready to forgive. But we will still talk about all those nice stories about the process of forgiving those who did real great harm to him. And we'll be really proud telling people these stories and the stories of these sahaba who forgave this and what the Qur'an says about the, the righteous people who forgave. But in our lives, when the opportunity arises for Allah to help us grow, uh, my nafs, my ego is offended. It's normally the ego that is offended, not the rule. So it's not that in principle I'm offended, it's you offended me, my, me, 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 which is offended. So uh, the questioner needs to see what is the situation and think of the best way to act, due process of law uh, or uh, or uh, forgiveness. There is one before, one, one thing before that going up to the past and then advising them that look um, you you took my right um, let's just sort it out between us and nothing more said you give back what you owe or you apologize to me for your for your slander against me and let's just let's just walk away as brothers or as uh, or as at least not as enemies if not due process of law or forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Without knowing the specific details, I can't comment on anything specific in inshallah. So if it is something very specific and it's beyond just general advice that I've given, my advice to the questioner is to go and consult a qualified mufti, not a knowledgeable brother, only we need to leave that bid'ah alone, a qualified scholar and ideally a scholar who, a mufti who's probably not too young if it involves something of life experience, 23 year old Mufti is not going to have much life experience. They may know quite a lot of technical knowledge. They will know off the top of their head. Uh, the fatwas was about fasting and praying and this and the other, but you throw in a little bit of life's issues, deeper issues. And the person may, but you, you go to a 40 or 45 year old or 50 year old Mufti or whatever, inshallah, inshallah, uh, that person is likely, she or he is likely to have the Islamic knowledge and wisdom and experience to kind of gel things together. Allah knows this. Any other questions? Does Shaytan work harder on those who are more God-conscious? Um, according to Imam Ibn Al-Qayyim, yes, he does. Uh, and Ibn Al-Qayyim, rahmatullah in his book, Al-Wa'bil al uh, he says that, the hearts of Muslims are like three houses, three types of houses. There is one house that actually Shaitan wants to rob it, but when he looks in the window, there is no sofa setting, there is no carpet, the p- paintings on the wall have been taken down, there is no TV, there is, there's nothing why because other shaitans have already robbed that house so there's nothing in that house for shaitan to rob he's not interested in it Ibn Al game says that is like the heart of someone that that is like the heart of a muslim whose heart is empty of prayer of obedience of any deeper piety of dhikr of fasting of of shaitan looks at it and thinks there's nothing much to steal He's already kind of under my thumb anyway so i'll let him be and then ibn al says there is another house shaitan looks through the window and thinks well <clears throat> there's some really good stuff there's expensive sofas there are there are picassos on the wall worth you know tens of thousands of pounds there are persian carpets on the floor i mean there is it is a, it is a thief's paradise and he's like kind of you know the thief is thinking i every bit i i want every bit of what's in that house there is the there is the latest iPhones there are the, the latest iPads worth a few thousand quid each but the house is guarded by strong guards a strong security system there is no way that this burglar this thief is going to get in without being caught and kind of beaten up so he said you know what I want what's in there, but I know I can never get it. So he leaves, moves on. Ibn al Qayyim says that's the heart of Allah's awliya, Allah's friends, Allah's saints, the, the the really righteous people. Their hearts are filled with love of Allah, obedience to Allah, remembrance of Allah, prayer, fasting, charity, um, service and, uh, to others and so on, jihad, so on and so forth. But Allah's noor and protection is around that heart. There's no way the devil can enter it. The, the noor of dhikr, the noor of prayer, the noor of obedience, the noor of worship, the law of fa- uh, charity, the noor of jihad, the noor of, it's all noor. And the devil just can't get through to it if, without getting burnt and reduced to ashes. And Ibn al the says, there's a third house. It's not like the first house. Got nothing. Nor is it like this. The the second house, a palace. It's a good house. It's got some really good stuff in there, and some a bit rubbish stuff. But it's got uh, some good stuff that the burglar likes. And there is no no guard, or there's only one guard, and there's an easy security system. With a bit of work, I can get around it. Ibn al Muhammad says that's the heart of the of the practicing Muslim. It's got something of obedience and love inside that the devil wants to snatch away. And it has some guards according to its iman and level of taqwa. But normally, if shaitan works a bit and tries and tries and tries, he'll get through somehow. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us uh, from shaitan and may Allah give us a talbi to regularly seek refuge uh, in shaitan. Any final question? Why is it haram for a Muslim woman to marry a non-Muslim, whilst men are allowed to marry non-Muslims? Very, very good question. Um, very much off the topic. Would require some time for me to explain. So, if on this stream on 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 Newcastle Fast FM there is a mufti who has a who has a show, I suggest you ask that mufti. If not, then ask another mufti offline somewhere um, inshallah ta'ala better to probably phone them up and speak to them face to face inshallah or voice to voice inshallah. It's too long to explain here and also off topic inshallah if you don't mind. Any last questions other than pure fatwa questions of that nature? Brilliant. So we ask Allah to give us soul to be aware of the four deadly foes to give us the, uh, the grace and doctrine to protect ourselves from the four deadly foes, um, to purify our um, our nafs, to guard ourselves against shaitan, to not give into to our wounds and hawa, and to, um, just to know how to, the adab with dunya, the adab, the etiquette with dunya. Imam, and I'll end with this, Imam Ibn Taymiyyah was asked, um, how should a Muslim view wealth? How should a Muslim view wealth and material things? and the, And the background to this was was probably the fact that you know some religious traditions they tell you to abandon all wealth and kind of go off and live in a cave somewhere just with a shirt on your back. And there are some religious traditions that you know like uh, you know the more money and things you have, the, the more sign it is that you're blessed somehow. So the person asked him, what's the the Muslim take on all of this? Is it that or is it this? So Imam Ibn Ali says, the Muslim should view wealth as he does the toilet. In that, he needs it and uses it when necessary. But it has no place in his heart. In that, he needs it. And uses it whenever needed, but it has no place in his heart. That's where we're trying to get with the material world, wealth, things and all these things. Some things we need, we need money to get on with money. To pay bills, to look after dependents, to to enjoy Allah's blessings without being extravagant or wasteful. Or wrecking the planet any further than it's already been wrecked so and we so we can use it because the world was created for our enjoyment providing we give thanks but it shouldn't have a place in our heart it shouldn't make us so clingy that not only am i not giving thanks but i'm not being even obedient i'm lost on a why because why can't i go out and help that single single sister who's struggling with her children um and you know and uh and her i don't know uh the, the the electricity is fixing in her house a simple simple half a day job and i'm a qualified electrician i have time but no you know what i can't miss the next flip next week crown you know the crown or whatever it is or the movie it's just so whatever anyway you know, it's too cold outside it's winter what is that if it other than being clingy to the dunya in some form or fashion when I know that I could have benefited someone, what stops me? Likewise, what stops me from praying, what stops me from wearing hijab, what stops me from doing this, what stops me from doing that? Normally it's it can be traced back to clinging on to something of the world. And Allah is this. And it's something a struggle that all of us have to roll up our sleeves and work hard for and make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And Allah, you know. Uh, he is generous, he's kind. Uh, what he wants from us, from us is not success because it's not in our hands. Success isn't in our hands, it's in his hands. What he wants from us is just the initial um, ambition and the initial steps. Allah will do the rest for us, inshallah. And even when it involves difficulty, then Allah will make that as a means of purification and deepening our spiritual connection to him in the hadith of tirmidhi the prophet says when allah loves someone he puts them in hardship that is not to say that every time we're in hardship it's a sign that allah loves us if a person doesn't pray and is in hardship how can that really be the love of allah if a person has committed some vile haram is then ends up in you know in jail or in hardship how can that be because allah is, uh, loves him but when a person is generally trying to be Allah-oriented and trying to do the prayers and the fasting and keep away from the haram and fulfill their basic responsibilities to others and there are hardships that will come in the life then inshallah it will be, it's a way of Allah purifying them in this world um, sharpening their spiritual vision making them less interested in the D de- in the dunya and stirring in their hearts a greater love and yearning for Allah Subh'anaHu wa Ta-A'la. Making them convinced that the dunya will never delight us like gazing at the face of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and <laughs> Have a nice weekend and I pray that Allah keeps you safe and protected and keeps us all uh journeying to Him upon iman and Taqwa.